Thank you, Danny. As I mentioned at the beginning, unfortunately, Dr. Terry LeBlanc is not able to be with us today. So for our, our, our scripture reading, I'm going to read from Mark chapter 5. I'm going to read from verse 1 down to verse uh, 20. I've been doing a, a lot of thinking and preaching from the Gospel of Mark. Today, for, for those of us who are studying and training for ministry, is what I think a Carowan John would have referred to as a teachable moment. And the teachable moment is that it's always very good to have a spare sermon somewhere. The teachable moment for me was that I didn't. But nevertheless, I knew what I was going to preach on next, and it was going to be this. So Mark chapter 5, reading from verse 1. They came to the other side of the lake, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when he, that being Jesus, had stepped out of the boat, immediately a man out of the tombs with a unclean spirit met him. He lived among the tombs and no one could restrain him anymore, even with a chain. For he had often been restrained with shackles and chains, but the chains he wrenched apart and the shackles he broke in pieces and no one had strength to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always howling and bruising himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and bowed down before him and shouted at the top of his voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he, that being Jesus, had said to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. He begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now there on the hillside, a great herd of swine was feeding and the unclean spirits begged him, uh, send us into the swine, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the swine. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned in the lake. The swine herds ran off and told it in the city and in the country. Then people came to see where it was that had happened. They came to Jesus and saw the demoniac sitting there clothed and in his right mind, the very man who had been the legion, and they were afraid. Those who had seen what happened to the demoniac and to the swine reported it. Then they began to beg Jesus to leave their neighborhood. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed by demons begged him that he might be with him. But Jesus refused and said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and what mercy has been shown you. And he went on his way and began to proclaim in the Decapolis, sorry, how much Jesus had done for him and everyone was amazed. So Decapolis is if you want the word actually. This, this particular story is actually bristling and brimming with tension. And I almost think that this is a passage that needs less to be explained 
and more to be proclaimed. And although this sermon was unexpected, I thought it still deserves a title. It might be new into the world, but it deserves to be recognized. And so I gave it a title. And the title I gave for this sermon was Jesus Robs a House. Not the timing of the incident. The timing is full of tension. It takes place immediately after the event that we call the stilling of the storm. We know that story. Indeed, I think the last sermon I preached here at chapel was on the end of Mark 4, and Jesus stills a storm. And this occurs immediately after that. You remember that event. The disciples are in the boat with Jesus traveling to the other side, and a storm comes up. And the nature of the storm is that it is so fierce and so unexpected that we think and suspect that what is going on is actually more than the natural. It's actually reaching into the supernatural. Somehow we suspect that the sea represents the powers of chaos and destruction that fight against God and against life and against well-being. We can always imagine that the sea here represents something like the monsters of the deep. And by that, I don't mean the Loch Ness Monster, I mean, the Old Testament monster, the Leviathan, that lived in the sea and somehow was seen as the enemies of God himself. And the sea certainly in Mark 4 represents powers of chaos, powers of destruction. And in this event that immediately takes place before what we have read about here, in this event, Jesus has the opportunity to demonstrate his own authority. For the disciples, however, things don't work out quite so well. They kind of move from a situation of fear to asking questions, to being rebuked, and to be fearful again. The sentence immediately before the event that we read about today says this, and they were filled with great awe and said to one another, who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? They get to the other side, They stand on land and they're greeted by this naked, wild man. I suspect that some of the disciples probably wanted to get back into the boat and sail back into the first storm. It was going to be another one of those days. I also suspect that at this point, John Scarpuzzi would want me to ask a question to draw people in in my preaching. And if I was doing that, I would say, come on, we've got to feel a bit for the disciples at this point things are pretty complex the timing is full of tension they step out of one storm almost quite literally into another there's also tension in the setting this takes place in what is described as the land of the gerizines the land of the gerizines is the other side the other side of the lake other been quite important in that description. The land of the Gerasenes had a high Gentile population, therefore by definition was somewhat unclean. More than that, it didn't simply have a high Gentile population, it had a high Gentile non-Jewish culture, as is evident, for example, not least in the keeping of so many pigs, of course, being unclean. We have unclean upon unclean going on here. Not only that, the land of the Gerasenes was a place where Roman soldiers who represented the military oppression of the people of Israel would often retire and stay. This was not the kind of place you took a person on your first date. 
The land of the Gerasenes was unclean upon unclean upon unclean. It represented so much that the people of Israel despised and wanted to avoid and wanted to stay away from and to make it worse. It was Jesus who said, we are going to the other side of the lake. It's him that takes these presumably quite young Jewish men who'd begun to follow him into a whole new context. I think John Scarpuzzi would want me to ask my question again for the disciples, come on, we really should feel a bit for them. They've been taken from one context of chaos into another. To cross over to the other side, to pick up on Steve's sermon last week, was to go not simply to the stranger, but actually to go to the undesirable stranger, the stranger who can, could contaminate you. It was almost in the air if you went to the Gerasenes. Unclean, unclean, unclean. There's tension in the timing. There's tension in the setting. There's tension in the protagonist. And by that, I mean the main character in the story, apart from Jesus. At the moment, I'm reading this book here called uh, Reading While Black by Esau Macaulay. It is a book that introduces us to African-American biblical interpretation. And when I was reading that, I was pointed to the work of a, a theologian called Mark Blount on Mark chapter 4. Mark Blount, when he talks about Mark chapter 4 and this crossing from one side of the lake to the other, he talks about boundary crossing and the way in which Jesus keeps trying to encourage people to cross boundaries. And although the focus of Mark, uh, the focus of Blount's uh, analysis is very much in Mark chapter 4, he gives an introduction to Mark chapter 5, and this is what he writes. It's quite stunning. He writes, Jesus earns what he receives on the other side. No sooner than he steps off the boat, he's confronted by what must surely be a Gentile man, naked, diseased of mind and spirit, living in the tombs on a land infested with corpses and swine, frothing at the mouth. That is what you get, Jesus, he says, for living out what you want to teach. And so Jesus is confronted. The impression is as soon as he puts his foot in the ground, someone immediately rushes towards him. This character is wild. This character is dangerous. This character is strong. Yeah, I think if you stand back a little, and I'm going to use a word that I'll explain, I think this character is also deeply pathetic. And I'm using that not in a detrimental term, but much more the technical term. This character is someone who, because of their situation, should create pathos within us. They should draw from us compassion and sympathy for their condition. I reflect upon, and I'm sure some of you could do the same, maybe not, people who I've maybe met who are living in the streets. I, I remember my last trip to, to Toronto, and I, I think I was going down, is it Yonge? Yonge Street, Yonge Avenue. I, I was walking down that huge street in Toronto, and there were a number of men there who clearly lived on the street. And a visitor, a tourist to the area, asked one of them for directions. 
and they got a lot more than directions in response. So there was, there was an aggression and a ferocity. But as I reflected upon that, I realized that sometimes people's situation is such that, that it creates within them an external demeanor to protect themselves. And ironically, this very external demeanor becomes a very means of stopping other people to being able to reach out towards them. For some people, their very survival mechanism becomes the very thing that they build around themselves that can stop other people actually trying to or wanting to reach into their world. And what that means for the person is that they get trapped within a world, their own world, which internally there seems to be no escape from, and because of the way they act externally, others are not prepared to go near them. One of the, the, the preachers, one of the people who has influenced me in the past, I may have mentioned this before, was the late John Smith, the Australian biker and evangelist. I remember John telling a story about his church in Melbourne. His church was called St. Martin's. St. Martin's was in downtown Melbourne. John described the church to me when I asked him about it on one occasion. He said, oh, it's made up of bikers and street people. He said, and a few middle-class people who come along to help. In 2002, I got a chance to visit the church and his description was pretty accurate. And I remember uh, a number of bikers in the worship band playing Amazing Grace for my benefit, visiting them on that day. Smith tells the story, however, one day that he was leading communion. And as he was leading communion, someone came in the door of the church. It was someone they knew. It was someone who lived on the streets. And it was this particular person. And this is not the case, of course, for all street people. They are no longer, they are no more generalized than we are. But this particular person came in and was looking for a fight. He wanted to fight someone. He was angry. John said they knew him and... John felt that he should be the one to try and defuse the situation and he, and he took the man outside. He said, and when I got outside, I, I, I realized that he had bare feet. He said, and when I looked at his feet, he said they were covered in blood and, and that kind of water that forms in a wound through trauma. And he said, I, I knelt down in front of him and I said to him, what have you done? As the man began to calm down, he explained to John that because of the rage in his head and in his life, he had simply been kicking a wall over and over again with his feet. John, in talking about that incident, then made a very fascinating statement that has remained from me. He says, what do we do? He said, and sometimes in such instances, all we can do is embrace these little ones and hold them till Christ returns. For those who on the one hand can, can seem so destructive and violent can also on the other hand be those in whom there is this terrible situation of trapped in who they are. Certainly Jesus is confronted by such a character, a character whose situation seems to be so deep that they have almost lost their own identity. You know that in the Bible, the, the names that we give to people are important. And, 
and, and then conflicts of supernatural conflicts, names are important. And so we have a kind of naming battle takes place here as elsewhere in Mark's gospel. And Jesus asks for the name of the person, but the name that comes back is the name of the very evil forces that in fact inhabit the person. It's as though the person has become lost themselves in the very circumstances that have oppressed them. It might be a dangerous move to make in this sermon, but I'm going to make it. I'm going to blame John Campbell, who is in the room here, for making it. Because a few weeks ago, when he was preaching from Mark's gospel about the, the widow woman at the temple, he, he, he encouraged us to think differently about it. He encouraged us to think about it more in a, a social, economic, and political way. If you haven't heard John's sermon, it's well worth going back to listen to and I think there is no doubt whatsoever that faced with economic structures, powers, principalities in our world, people can be reduced to being nothing more than the names that the very structures who oppress them give to them. The poor, the homeless, the marginalized, often defined by the very powers who put them in that situation. Certainly here, we have one who, when asked his name, answers that his name is Legion, for we are many. There is tension in this story. There is tension in the timing. There's tension in the setting. There's tension in this somewhat complex character who confronts Jesus. And in the middle of all of this, we, we experience something of gospel. That gospel actually stretches probably, that gospel focus probably stretches from verse 6 down to, oh, verse 13. For this is where what we might call, we might not want to call it this, but that, this is where the, almost the, the exorcism takes place, where the person is freed from the powers that are oppressing them, from the, the powers that appear to be possessing them. Jesus faces, confronts, calls out, challenges, changes the situation. Having entered the situation, he's not prepared to leave it the same. He enters the conflict on behalf of the man. The whole thing about the pigs is interesting in this story, and we could spend far too long talking about them. When I first went to study my Bachelor of Divinity degree, the rumor was that Sometime before at chapel, someone had preached on this passage and they had ended up by challenging Jesus for taking away the livelihood of the shepherds or the swineherds, rather. And this was a bit of talk around the place about that interpretation. I don't think that interpretation is, is, is quite correct, but, but nevertheless, there's something fascinating happens here. It would appear that the, the powers that are possessing the man want to remain in the country because this is a place where they seem to have some territory that they can call their own. And so they beg to go into the pigs. They go into the pigs, but then the pigs don't stay in the country. The pigs end up in the sea. And for me, it's fascinating that Jesus takes these powers that have been so oppressive and he almost returns them to the very forces of chaos that just previously were trying to destroy Jesus. There's a brilliant irony here that the sea, 
that in the previous event was conspiring, as it were, against Jesus and the disciples, now becomes the place of the destruction of the powers and the forces that were challenging this man. I think this should cause us to ask of Jesus, who is this man? This liberator who will enter to the other, who will cross to the other side, who will get out of the boat, who will face the conflict and in the middle of it bring the liberation of the gospel of setting people free from the prisons that hold them. Oh, some of the folks in the country were not very very happy that Jesus was here. It may be them that more than others were troubled by the loss of the swine, but somehow this kind of behavior wasn't welcomed. I I think it was a couple of weeks ago, someone mentioned in a sermon that if you mess with people's money on behalf of the liberation of others, you're likely to get a pushback. I think maybe that's what happens here with Jesus. But the man, the man, when they come back, they find him sitting, clothed, and in his right mind. This is liberation. This is gospel breaking into the world. And the man wishes to go with Jesus, but Jesus sends him back now, as it were, as a missionary to the Decapolis. And all the people were amazed. And way back at the beginning of the semester, I think in our first chapel, Dr. Robbins spoke from Mark chapter 3, and a parable. Hopefully you can still get that. You could go back and listen to it again. And in Mark chapter three, Jesus has been accused of casting out demons by the power of Satan. And Jesus gives this parable in response. He says, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided and he cannot stand, but his end has come. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his property without first tying up the strong man. Then indeed the house can be plundered. In the land of the Gerasenes, Jesus robs the house. He enters a house and binds the powers of evil that hold people in the powers of death and captivity and pain and liberates the person to live their life in the light of the gospel. Jesus liberates. He robs the houses. May he enable us to so confront the forces that hold others' captivity for the sake of liberation, for the sake, indeed, of salvation. For this is the gospel, and this doesn't need to be so much explained as it needs to be proclaimed. Jesus Christ sets people free. Amen.